what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. I am your host, Matt Guest. With me out in Las Vegas is Mr. Matt Morris. What is up, bro? Great to see you. What's good, man? Yeah, we uh, we got a lot to talk about. I think we've taken enough time as well. This is kind of the nice thing about having our team play on Saturday, our team lose on Saturday. It's an extra day for us to have perspective. And I think it's enough time for us now to look forward to the games ahead this week and, and really have an objective take as opposed to, I absolutely despise the 49ers. I hope they get blown up by 50. Um, you know, my logical brain can actually process things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a tough Packer loss to the Niners caused a few days of licking the wounds, to say the least. You know, the highs were high, the lows were much lower. But as I've told other people in my life who ask how I'm doing and what's good, you know, we've got a big window and there's always next year. I just say, you know what? Sign up for it again next year. Because <laughs> guess what? Ain't going to be the last time they hurt you, boy. They ain't going to be the last time. But um, we got a lot of football to talk about. Since we have a lot of stuff, let's just dive right into it. I actually wanted to start the pod with some basketball talk. Um, don't do a ton of basketball here on our pod, you know, consistently. But, you know, there's a couple things that happen. Obviously, the Bucks made a signing. That's not the first thing I want to talk about, though. I want to kind of, as I was telling you in prep, I want to jump into my annual rant about basketball culture, right? And how I think a big reason, not a big reason, but a part of the reason we don't cover basketball as much is like, it's just negative, man. Like, there's nothing positive to be celebrated about basketball culture ever. Thanks, ball don't stop. And Joel Embiid scored 71 points the other night. 15 rebounds, 70 points, 15 rebounds, man. And all you're seeing across the narrative is that, oh, the competition is so weak. These guys weren't even playing defense. How many free throws did he shoot? And nothing about how actually insane it is that he scored 70 points and how freakish Joel Embiid is being able to score at all three levels of the basketball court. It's it's even crazier that he's the MVP from last year in a top three team in the East, right? Like we've gotten so far deep as a basketball community, shaming these guys, talking so much shit that we can't even celebrate the fact that these guys are doing monumental things that only Michael Jordan's done. Even Embiid was like, Wilt didn't do this. Like he was shocked at how great of a night he had, even if it was against a bad San Antonio Spurs team, right? And it got me thinking, Matt, we literally had two guys score 70 last year. And we've completely, at least me, I've completely forgotten about it. And I'm a pretty big basketball fan. Did Donovan Mitchell and Dame do it last year? And it's like we are so busy to dismiss that performance and chalk it up to the way the game's played and the style of basketball nowadays and the level of competition that we're not appreciating these feats. And I once again wanted to just get into my kind of basketball rant here. And it's just, it, it's ridiculous, man. And I'm not a Philly fan. I honestly don't really like Embiid, but you got to give props. 70 points, dude. It's insane doing it from the free throw line, the three point line from the block with a couple flops because that's how he plays. But look, man, if it was so easy to get 70, why don't more of the superstars do it? It's kind of my point. You know, I'm 
as stated before, when we talk about basketball, I will state it again. I am more of a novice. Um, what is the term in the basketball world, Matt? It's uh, a casual. I'm a casual. Um, and I think that's even being a, a little bit um, exuberant. I, I follow basketball in the playoffs and that's about it. And when I was really into basketball, I would follow them usually after February because I just didn't really like how the game was played in the first two and two and a half months. But I had kind of talked to you about this when when I saw the box score yesterday for Embiid and I saw that I was against Wemby and I was like, oh, damn, you know, like the Spurs aren't doing so well. And like I thought about Wemby's hype and how it translated to like a young rookie LeBron. And I had just said to you, you know, this was LeBron's Cavalier record as a rookie. This is kind of, you know, if, if you don't know, the Spurs, I think, have eight wins. It's not been a very good season. Um, Wemby's, when you actually look at his stat line, it's pretty great. He's averaging a double-double, almost averaging 20 points a game. And he is kind of what was sold to us. Now, after listening to you talk and us talking a little bit before we jumped on today, I think I have a, a different take. And again, it's coming from the casual perspective, but... You know, we know the sport now is is being played from the outside in, and it's a different game than it was when we grew up watching basketball. You have to have more versatile athletes. You have to have athletes that also understand the game and understand how to play defense on three different levels. And I think what I've seen from basketball over the last few years, maybe even the last 10 years, is you have a lot of young players that in other sports, baseball and football specifically, would be either at the minor league level or at the college level, learning how to play the game, learning how to defend the first level, the second level, the third level, going through their repetitions with guys that are also learning how to play at these levels. And sure, you're going to have a few at each level shine, much like in minor league baseball or at the college collegiate football level, where, hey, they may be ready for the pros today, but rules do not allow them to play at the pro level today. Maurice Claret definitely knows that one. Um, <laughs> And I just think my issue with basketball is probably a foundational issue that a lot of people have when they talk about the quality of the product. How are you going to have a great quality product when you have a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds learning how to play at the pro level? I think of the Pistons specifically and their long losing streak that they incurred this season. I don't even know if it's ended yet. Um, it did. That's, it, okay. I assumed it did. Um, shows you how much I'm tied in. They're still losing again. Though, I'm, right? I'm sure they are. Um, but that roster is it's a bunch of kids, you know, and like Cunningham is a guy that we really liked and I still like, and I think can develop into a good player. But we had a conversation about Shea Gilders Alexander and how long it took him to be a top 10 player. And I mean, you know, we've, I followed him all the way back to the Clippers. And when I actually saw that he was over 25 years old, I was like, holy shit. I didn't realize it had been that long, mm -hmm. but that's how long it took him six, seven years to develop into a really great player. And it's like, oh damn, well, how long is it going to take the entire Spurs roster, the entire Pistons roster before what we're putting out there is a bad product? Now, that being said, I think it's a problem that the NBA has had trouble addressing all the way back to when T-Mac and Kobe and Garnett were drafted out of high school and like rules were put in place to force a one-year hiatus from high school. They haven't gone far enough. I don't know what the solution is. That's not about this conversation. Yeah. 70 points against Wemby is impressive. I know that, yes, the competition around Wemby may not be at the level that other people hold acceptable, but Wemby is 
a good player right now. He's a rookie and he's very young, but 70 points is 70 points. And when you're going up against arguably a top tier future center, and you're still able to do that from the third and second level, you don't have to do it from inside. That's impressive. And I agree with you. I think the toxic behavior from NBA fans is really what has drawn us away from the NBA. And we saw it, especially on social media with a few of the posts, like it's just people choosing to be negative no matter what. There's always something to say. There's always a player that had a performance that was better or a reason that the performance wasn't good enough. And it's like, no, like I don't care that X player went out and pitched a perfect game against the really shitty Royals. That's still really impressive. Embiid putting up 70 points against the per the Spurs is incredibly impressive. And I remember Brandon Jennings when he dropped that ridiculous amount of points against, I think, what was Golden State. I remember that. I don't know that I'll remember Embiid. I don't know that I remember right. Dame Lillard. I remember Donovan Mitchell's when you say it, but it has lost a bit of lure because the excitement isn't there anymore. Yeah, for sure. And for a, a, a league that has 82 games, like, hey, that's something to get excited about on a fucking Monday. Okay? Yeah. It's Monday. It's Monday. Dude dropped 70. Anthony Towns had freaking 63 and they lost, you know, like this is stuff to get excited about, you know, it's freaking January. Okay. The playoffs aren't here yet. It's time in the all-star break. We're almost there. Um, before we talk about the Bucks super fast, like I just, I did want to touch on your point about players being young and teams being young. And I think that has a direct correlation with these European players being better than Americans now, right? Because Luka Doncic, Wemby, for example, they were in the pros as teenagers, right? Like they were playing professional basketball at a younger age. And on top of that, I think I saw um, I saw a video or a post. I can't remember online where uh, I forget which it was a coach or GM explaining European basketball in comparison to AAU culture, which to your question of like the NBA is a bigger problem to address. I don't think it's college. It's it's absolute AAU youth basketball culture so that's nothing the nba can fix sadly at this point it's just americans and american culture and how we are coaching our youth to play the right way right like we've gone fully away from fundamentals and it's all about highlight tapes making it to ball is life it's overtime now is the big brand that does all the the, the highlight tapes for young kids and just basically making everyone superstars. And if you aren't good enough, you leave the team similar to the transfer portal in college football. Like that is the root of American basketball issues. Whereas European kids are playing two games a weekend max and practicing five days a week. Whereas American kids are practicing one to two days a week and playing five games in tournaments on Saturdays and Sundays, right? Like the, the fundamentals have been lost at a young, young age. And I think it translates when you look into the NBA and you look at, I think it's a really good case study this year. Remember, Matt, it was Scoot Henderson. Scoot Henderson, Scoot Henderson, Scoot Henderson. He played so good in the G League and he was doing this. And I do, I'm not saying this to disrespect him. I think he still has a bright future. But like, let's call a spade a spade. He's been a bust. He's been terrible. But the kid who decided to do one year in college and was the best player in college basketball last year, which uglier game, slower pace, but it drives fundamentals because you have to play team ball in college basketball because of the rules in the smaller court. Brandon Miller is balling out for the Charlotte Hornets, and he's looking like the one who's 
going to be a potential all-star, all-pro. Like he looks that good, right? Obviously not this year, but down the line. And you start to really think about how this is affecting the league. And it's all kind of as we talk about in football, right? Like we feel like there's going to be a shift eventually back to the ground and pound and a little bit more of a run first, less aired out type of offense with all this poor quarterback play. I think we see this in the NBA too. You, you like, we'll start to move away from the Steph Curry type of game plan, right? Because not everyone's going to shoot 40 something percent like Steph and the kind of ranting there. Sorry, I got off topic, but it's just like my, the issue has and will continue to be in youth sports in American culture, in high school basketball, and all of the that stuff and the way the game is played at a young level and kids not going and playing fundamental basketball in college. Like that's in that that's my take on it. Well and I and I fully agree with you and I think there is a solution. You can't control AAU. You can't pump out twelve hundred coaches across the AAU circuit or whatever the proper number would be and you know have trained them up to NBA standards of how to run these leagues that's not how it works it's it's a it's a business in its own but you can force these kids to wait their turn and by doing so hopefully steer them in the direction of college basketball now that that's true NIU or whatever NIL, the, NIL yeah. is a thing they can get paid for their performance or at least going to a school because I would say, traditionally speaking, now that the G League and you know European leagues are paying these players, there is another outlet if they don't want to wait the three years, right? But I don't think it's ever going to happen. And I say the only reason it's three years is because you ingrain them in a system like Duke or Alabama or any other big college program, Wisconsin, Marquette, right? You, you get them to go to school for three years. They learn how to like really craft and take to these fundamentals. And hopefully by the time they're 21, they are a better product for the NBA. Totally. But that's just not going to happen. Um, no. I think the year itself was lucky. The NCAA was lucky to get that one-year waiver type of deal where they were forced to come. And now we're even seeing, like you said, Scoot say, yeah, screw college. I'm going to the G League, right? And it's disappointing, but it's just the reality. And it's the struggle that this sport being basketball and the NBA faces and I don't know this for a fact, but I would probably assume that the European basketball players aren't being given the opportunity. Oh, you're great. Get in there. You're really athletic. Like you're going to play like, no, you're going to earn your role and you're going to earn your playing time. And we are going to grind you five times a week in practice. And we're going to make you better so that when you come over at 21, you are going to be ready for the NBA because we are seeing that. You know, even Giannis, when he came over, wasn't fundamentally ready for the NBA per se and may not even be today. But he also picked up a basketball at like 13 or 14 years old. Yeah, he's not a great example. He's a, he's a bad example, but he's the closest to what worst case scenario can be from a, a growing perspective in the European market. And I don't know that I'll be a basketball fan again until this problem is solved. Um, and I think when I hear a lot of people groan and gripe about the NBA and maybe don't give me a great answer, it's probably the same thing. It is it is just a disappointment in product. And uh, the solution seems to be there. But when you're going up against millions and millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars of a sub economy, you're probably not going to be able to fix it. Totally. And, and last side note, uh, 
the product also, I think they have a little bit of a problem like Major League Baseball does is they don't do a great job at marketing their stars outside of fucking LeBron. You know what I mean? And Giannis and like the mega stars, which they're a step ahead of the the MLB in that part. But like you brought up SGA, right? Rob Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah, I don't see them promoting Kawhi and Paul George with one of the most fun teams, right? Like I could go down the list. So, you know, something to monitor as we get here into the summer. But last thing we want to talk about a little bit here, because we did go a little long on that is Bucks are hiring Doc Rivers. They fired their coach. Uh, a big shock to a lot of people in the NBA world. I do understand that. But look, at the end of the day, it's been 43 or 44 games. I can't remember exactly what the record are is. Excuse me. Poor English. They didn't get the best out of Dame Lillard. He Adrian Griffin could not get the best out of Dame Lillard in half a season. The team was un- unhappy. The team needs to win a title this year. It's title or bust for the Bucks at the end of the day. And everything that I've seen this year, the box score says this year, the plus minus the defensive numbers. They weren't going to win it. And I don't love Doc Rivers personally. For the Bucks, I will see how it goes. But one thing that you do need to give him credit for is that he knows how to coach superstars and he knows how to handle egos in the locker room and get guys motivated. He definitely knows how to blow series and blow big leads, right? Which is obviously where my concern and frustration comes from as a Milwaukee Bucks fan myself. But at the end of the day, when you just put apples to apples, they upgraded their coach today. And it sucks for Griffin. I don't necessarily think that's the most fair thing, but when you're coaching a team that is literally title or bust, this is the kind of stuff that happens. Uh, Last time we saw this with a big title or bust team was David Blatt and that Cavs team that Ty Lue ended up taking over. Look how that worked out. Well, and I I didn't like the Griffin hire. I think the Bucs put themselves in a really awkward position when they, they fired Coach Bud. And I think that was uh, how do we keep Giannis happy? How do we get keep some of our you know our key players happy? Well, we'll fill the role with an internal hire because Griffin was on the coaching team, right? Negative, he was not. Where did he come from? I think Toronto. He came from Toronto. Is that right? Okay, uh, but he was he was more importantly. <clears throat> I think you were thinking it was internally because he was more importantly Giannis's pick, and okay, that's where I think Horace knew he fucked up. Because yeah. allegedly what I was seeing online today is that they wanted the coach who's now coaching for Philly, Nick Nurse from Toronto, but Giannis didn't want him. Once again, this is all through sources, allegedly, blah, 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 right? And if that's the case, it'll probably be the last time Giannis has really any influence, like real decision-making influence on something like this and moving forward because it, it ended tragically. Well, and boohoo to Giannis, you signed your sure. long-term extension. So um, in a roundabout way, it's okay. Also, I would argue, not that Nick Nurse and I have a, a good you know, tempo on the NBA. I will take Doc Rivers over Nick Nurse when you have Giannis and Dame Lillard. I, I don't, there's just something to this because I'm a big believer that the past doesn't equal the future. And I think you know when we dump on doc rivers we forget he is a championship coach yes it's because he's blown series after series after series in the most recent memory but he has won a championship and 
I think about Andy Reid in direct correlation to the NFL. How many NFC championship games Andy Reid lost and lost and lost and lost and lost only to end up having this Chiefs team who has now two Super Bowls? Like, It may just have been the personalities around Doc. It may have been his inability in those key moments to really figure out how to motivate his players. Giannis is a champion. Dame will give anything to be a champion. I'm not concerned in a playoff series when we have a three to one lead or a three to two lead in the series that they will find a way to win that fourth game. Not because Doc Rivers is incapable, but because they are capable to do so. But we need a veteran coach that can rally this team and get them to play defense. You can't tell me that the reason we went from the fourth best defense in the NBA to the 22nd defense in the NBA is because we lost Holiday. I know it's a big piece. But you don't drop that far because of one player. It's clearly culture. It's clearly focus. And I think Doc Rivers can at least get these guys to pull their heads out of their ass <laughs> and push forward. And if not, at least you at least you tried. Because yeah. you're right. Like they had to make this decision today. I, I fully agree. And when, when I saw the firing, I was like, I didn't expect that, but kudos. Better like, you now did what than- you had to do. Yeah, better better now than being too late, bro. Like a hundred percent. And then last thing, because we do need to get to football here, is just kind of a fun fact for the for the casuals out there. Is uh, fucking Doc Rivers' jersey is literally hanging up in the Pfizer Forum. His jersey has been retired by the Marquette Golden Eagles. So um, he's no great, stranger to this. Great city. comment. Great comment. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like I've seen stuff about the fit and all this. Like guy went to Marquette. Numbers retired. He's got a lot to prove himself. He only well, has to coach out the season this year, you know? So, well, I mean, we'll see, man. Is I, it a one-year I don't know. Deal? The East, the East, well, I don't know. I, I shouldn't say that. I, I have no idea what the, the contract language is and whatnot. But, like, I mean, we'll see, man. Like, can you beat Boston? How, how, how great would it be if that was the Eastern Conference Finals and Doc Rivers coaches the Bucks beating the Celtics, right? Like, be cool. Um, but that, that's all I have on it. I'm, I'm good to go to football if you are, my friend. I'm fired up for Doc, dude. Like, uh, it's different having him on our team because I've dumped on him for a number of years on our show. Both of us sure have. And and I think rightfully so. But he's entering into a different culture. The cultures he's coming from is very star empowered. It's very, it's very bright lights. And he's coming back home to Milwaukee with a very like humble opportunity from not only himself, but to humble these players. And I think this is an absolute perfect fit. I could be wrong. We'll find out. It is odd to take over halfway through a season. But I think about just how 10 years changes things. Like we've gone from Jason Kidd to Doc Rivers. Like, yeah, you asked me 10 wild. years ago. That's pretty cool. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And like, respectfully, he's going from James Harden to Dame Lillard. So, like, the drama. It'll be a lot lower. A little easier. Yeah. <laughs> easier. Still egos there, like with, with Giannis and Middleton and Lopez. Like they, they like you said, they're all champions. But um all right, I digress. Let's let's talk about the four teams that aren't champions because they lost this past weekend. Pour one out for the boys. Shed a tear. It was a hell of a run for the Houston Texans, our Green Bay Packers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers and those those poor, poor, poor Buffalo Bills. Um, my take on the overall division weekend was it was awesome, right? There was a lot of really, really good football on. Of course, our game had to be the best one to make it hurt the most, right? 
But I, I think the biggest like headline takeaway thing that I see when I look at the losers list from divisional weekend, right as we're prepping up here today for championship weekend is there's three teams with hope and one team that's sitting there like now what? Right. And I, I think that's obvious and it's Buffalo, uh, Houston Packers and Tampa. They all exceeded expectations this year. I think for Tampa specifically, I'll try my best this offseason to not disrespect a team like that just because they lost Tom Brady. Like, I know that's a big deal, but that roster is still loaded with talent and a better roster more often than not wins games against inexperienced bad rosters, right? Like as are the Carolina Panthers, the Saints that we were both pretty wrong about and obviously Atlanta, you know? Um, so I'll try my best going into next season, but Houston Packers bucks, you know, they have a lot to look forward to. The bucks are going to have to figure out what they want to do with their cap situation. But all in all, you're leaving the season. Like, yeah, I'm bummed. We lost, but I am excited to see what the future holds the bills. It's just not that right. You've got a top three quarterback in the league. Like I'm totally bought back all the way in on Allen. I wasn't not bought in on him, but like I I'm going to elevate him to tier one. With we, I just had Mahomes and Burrow on it coming into the season. I think Josh Allen's there. I don't think the Buffalo Bills have a Josh Allen problem. They have an identity issue that you and I have talked about ad nauseum for years on this podcast, right? I don't think McDermott should be the scapegoat, but the cold, hard facts of the situation is that as defensive coach, can't stop the one guy that keeps getting in their way. Pat Mahomes, I texted you third drive. I was like, this dude is killing them. They have no answer for Mahomes again in the playoffs. And we've watched that Kansas City team all season look average, man. You know, even when Mahomes was playing his best ball, the team looked average. And for some reason, McDermott just couldn't figure it out. And the Bills have an aging defense. No answer at the wide receiver position now with Stefan Diggs being a no-show for the last two months of the season. And they're leaving this season with more question marks than answers. But I will say I still we've got a long offseason for them. I still think they are set up best in the AFC East because of that guy playing quarterback. He he is phenomenal. I'm 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 fully you can't really talk me off Josh Allen. You know, I think it's hard to really evaluate where the bills are headed. And I think I've switched my comments in a lot of avenues in regards to windows closing. <laughs> when you have a Josh Allen, a Patrick sure. Mahomes, I'm not even ready to put Burrow in there yet. Um, mm, the I injury, disagree. the injury is there for me, so it's hard. Sure. But. Also, I look at Burrow and I just I look at that supporting cast that he's played with, and it's fantastic, if not the best in the NFL. Now, of course, there have been offensive line issues and this and that, but I have seen multiple seasons now of Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes go out and win multiple games almost on their own or at least keep their team in it. Josh Allen kept the Bills in this game this weekend. A uh, big weakness I saw. You spent a hundred million dollars on a guy that probably shouldn't be in the NFL anymore than Von Miller. Like you whiffed. You swung, you missed. And it sucks. And you cannot whiff on a free agent signing like that. When they signed him, I think we both saw thought, why why give him that much money? Yeah. Um 
that's the type of signing where you're like, you're going to be the best defensive player. You are going to be an impact player every single snap. And Vaughn just hasn't been that. And I think that's a really big piece to this equation because they let some people walk that were impact players, maybe not to the level of number one defensive player on the field, but fit their scheme and did their role very well. Tredavious White, we've talked about this how many years in a row now? That injury, huge. Signing or drafting Elam over drafting Brees Hall, that is still ringing true. But one key conversation I had this week really changed my perspective, and this is on McDermott. You had Singletary and you had Moss, both who have left and have provided value outside of the Bills organization, have looked good at times in the role, same role they were playing for the Bills. And yet the Bills cannot seem to figure out the running back situation. I am now solidified in my thinking that this is a scheme problem. You are clearly executing the wrong running scheme where you just can't get anything to positively work for this team on a consistent basis. If you have guys that you were head in house that have had success elsewhere and they weren't successful for you and you're still not having success, something needs to change. We saw the same thing on defense. I think McDermott has to go. I don't care what he's done in the past three years. I don't care the continued success he's had. He has a quarterback that can win a Super Bowl. He's not getting it done and he's not changing his schemes. This is the same Bills team we have seen now for three years minus a really elite level digs. I think change needs to come. Scheme needs to come in with a brand new approach to this organization. Otherwise, I just think we're going to continue to see the Bills lose in the AFC because this AFC is tough. Tough. Yeah. And I'm not for everyone who listens like, you know, I'm not the big like call for your job guy, but I agree with you because of one reason. And it's the quality that's out there, right? Like you get rid of McDermott today. That becomes easily the best job immediately you have the number one landing spot in the entire NFL the you know got a lot of free agents got to figure out got to figure out what you're going to do with the safeties going to have to figure out what you want to do with Trey White sadly you know like we both love him but dude he's he's a liability he's injured all the time it's an ACL you know? and Achilles now right yeah it sucks yeah. he's he's kind he's he's not trending well right we, we've we've all seen this movie before you brought up the Von Miller thing but you have Josh Allen. Look at everyone interviewing for San, I almost said San Diego, the LA Chargers, <laughs> man. Like you've got Harbaugh. They're saying real close to ending to in agreement with the conversation. Apparently, Pete Carroll wants to go over there. Vrabel's interviewed over there. You don't see Vrabel interviewing in Atlanta. You don't see Vrabel interviewing in Carolina. You don't see Pete Carroll asking to go to the freaking, you know shitty ass pan or uh, yeah panthers like man it's you you have a you have an opportunity to go out there and cash in upgrade on one of the an upgrade thank you yeah a hundred percent man and i think that's why it would be worth it you know i don't know how long the old man wants to keep coaching but you flip from that mcdermott kind of really hard tough ass culture to a Pete carroll i don't mm. know if Pete could handle the snow you know, like <laughs> straight up, man, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a beach dude, even though he was in Seattle. Um, I mean, there is a beach over there. You just got to find it. Yeah. You just freaking break your hip on it. So damn cold. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's frozen, but you know what I mean? Like you can have that immediate culture change. Right. And I think sadly, like that's just something th that's just something that needs to happen. And as Chris Berman always said, no one circles the wagons like the Buffalo bills. And, and maybe they are just going to circle the wagons again. Run it back. 
But if you run it back, the inevitable is going to happen, right? They're saying all the right things about Stefan Diggs, but Matt, I mean, bro, you and I aren't sitting here watching the all 22s and like, we're not going to sit here and lie to our listeners be like all this shit. Like we're fans like the rest of you, man. You, we can see it. You can see it through the television copy, man. Like something's going on there. You all know what it's like when you're fighting with a homie or you're done being homies with people. Like it's clear as day. They need to shift it. They need to shake it up. You've got an elite guy in his prime. It's okay to go with a clean slate and say, hey, we we've, we fucking gave it our best shot because they did. You know, they made a mistake here or there in the draft. You and I will shit on them for a lifetime over it. But like they did give it their best shot. Yeah, and we've seen this before when one or two decisions from a personnel perspective costs your team season after season after season. And that's why I will continue to say, go the route of the Green Bay Packers. Go the route of the Houston Texans. Build, 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 build. Don't ever give your quarterback too much leverage, right? Like, But the Bills aren't in that situation. They have to give the leverage to Josh Allen. They have to pamper him. And honestly, I agree with you. Blow the whole thing up and try a different template. Because what we're seeing looks good. It just doesn't work. And, you know, it's time to get rid of Diggs. It's time to get rid of Miller. It's time to reshape the way that they play defense. It's time to reshape the weapons that Allen has. The fact that the best weapon Josh Allen used in the past four games was a guy I didn't even know was in the NFL. You're going to have to help me out with his name. He got hurt. Shakir? Yeah. Holy cow. Like, didn't even know this guy was a thing. Um, that's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for me as a you know podcast co-host, but it's embarrassing for the Bills <laughs> that they have Stefan Diggs as well as you know Gabe Davis, who didn't play this weekend. Two really nice yeah, tight ends. Gone. Yeah, he's gone. Two really nice tight ends who, frankly, are similar profiled players and can't ever seem to make a big play when they need it. They have to figure something out. Um, kind of transitioning to the Buccaneers. I think it wasn't as simple as we didn't give the roster enough credit as it was. I don't think we thought they were going to get an above average quarterback. And I will say Baker is just above average at this point. Hell of a couple of games this season. Great performance against Joe Barry and the pathetic performance the Packers put up, <laughs> but also a really, really nice performance this week against the Lions, even though he had that pick and the ball thrown to him. And that was a little embarrassing. And, and at the end of the game, he goes out and does exactly what Jordan Love does. I don't fault these guys for trying to make a play. You know, you're not Patrick Mahomes. They they made some bad throws. But when you actually look at Baker's season, best of his career, he had some incredible performances. And when you look at kind of like you talked about what quarterbacks are on the market right now, he's number I'm take, one, man. I'm taking Baker Outside Mayfield. Of Cousins. Yeah. yeah. I'd, but, I'd still say Cousins is one, but off of Achilles, man, like. Well, in age two, you know, you sign Baker sure. right now. You have a five to seven year window. You sign Kirk. You got a three year window. Guy's thirty six, if I'm correct. Um, he's up there. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's mid thirties, and so especially off in Achilles, this is an Aaron Rodgers who's giving it one last dance again. This is <laughs> Kirk Cousins, who is you know three four year career that Achilles is going to play as he gets older. Um, hell of a season for Baker. Great job for the Buccaneers. Like I did not expect this. I, my, my 90th, 100% outcome for Baker Mayfield was not this. And I, I'm just really happy that 
he got a job, you know, like he, he solidified himself in this league as a starting quarterback. If I remember correctly, 18, 19 weeks ago, we were talking about, this is your last shot. This 100%. is your last shot as a starting quarterback. Now we're talking about handing him $40 million a year. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's cool to see him bet on himself and see the, um, maturity from him right like at the end of the day like we all like baker at oklahoma love the shit talking and you and i like to party and stuff so it's fun seeing him be kind of an asshole and an idiot right <laughs> but like seriously it's cool to see a guy like get humbled leave cleveland suck in carolina literally go play a couple real nice games under mcveigh and like in the offseason there was videos of him and kyle trash trying to throw a ball to the tight end and it looked bad right <laughs> so like it's really great and then you know just my, my other annual pitch outside of the NBA being negative is that maybe one day, maybe when he's retired, we will just give the most underrated receiver of all time Mike to Evans. fucking Mike Evans, yeah. dude. Holy shit, is he good? And he he's lost a step completely, but he's just unbelievable. The impact that he had on Baker on that team is incredible. I am very interested to see what type of market he draws this off season as a unrestricted free agent as well. He obviously said he'd like to come back to Tampa Bay, but they made the conscious decision before week one to not extend him. So he's unrestricted. Um, I have a weird feeling he might draw a big number from a team with a lot of cap space, <clears throat> Chicago. Uh, so we'll see, man. I, I, I'm really interested to see what happens there, but uh, another great season for Mike. Um, time to talk about the Packers. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll let you go first. Go you know, it. I I reached out to you then. I reached out to you on Sunday. Saturday sucked. I was at work. I watched the entire game. You know, this is a benefit. I need to be appreciative of having a job where I can do that. And it hurt because I bought in, and I just I said to you on Sunday, and I said to my wife, I said, you know, you think about when we were here for the Raiders Packers game, and then the next week or the following week when after the bye week when we flew to Denver. So to think that this team played the 49ers to the very end, had them, had them on the ropes, is shocking. If you would have said that to me, leaving the game in Denver, I would have been like, how? I know it was always a possibility, but I thought it was a possibility in 2025 or 2026. I didn't see all of these things coming into fruition in regards to everyone buying in executing their role and executing efficiently this season. I, I would have been absolutely blown away. And I think that really helped just put everything into perspective where it's like, yeah, your, your, your team that you've grown an emotional attachment to, it's going to hurt you. Usually there is one team in the NFL and in pro sports in each league that wins it. The likelihood is it's not going to be your team just on odds <laughs> alone. Like the, that's the math. They will hurt you. Again. They will hurt you again. And to know that Green Bay has their next quarterback um, is incredible. To know that he can execute the system at a very efficient level up until his first real playoff test where he's forced to overcome the demons of the 49ers and he succumbs to the pressure because that's what happened. Love just succumbed to the pressure. Um. What a hell of a season. And I can't wait for the next five, six, seven years to buy in and get heartbroken and buy in and get heartbroken <laughs> and, may, and maybe get a Super for Bowl sure. out of it. And it's just really nice to go from where I was leaving that stadium in Denver thinking to myself, well, I don't have to give a shit anymore. Literally my thought, well, 
Well, I, I mean, we had a full blown episode about like, should we fucking tank for mm-hmm. a quarterback? Like, it was, it was getting ugly out there. I never believe. I have the take never that believed. all the fucking people are freaking out about, you know, because it was bad, bro. It there was, but five I five games without scoring a touchdown in the first half. Five games in a row. I never believed it was a Jordan problem. I thought it was a Same. system young youth problem. I just knew it was going to take time and. It's incredible what they did. I mean, it's it is truly jaw dropping. If if I were a team right now that needed a head coach, I would be offering twenty a year to Matt. First round picks, whatever. Like what he had did this season, he was better. He coached better than Shanahan did on on Saturday night. Um, this is this is the kind of coach that you need on any team. Like I would get crazy aggressive if I were the Chargers or the Bills or someone with big time money and big assets, I would be asking for Matt LaFleur. And I don't remember a coach like that at his age outside of McVay who would never go anywhere. Um, he's entered for me top five probably in the league with this performance this season. What he's done with these 25-year-olds mm-hmm. is, yeah. I mean, he he almost beat the 49ers. He should have beat the 49ers. His players just happened to just let him down. Yeah, I mean, the 49ers are the best team in the NFC. So in that regard, I would put him right there with Shanahan, just a notch below because he can't yet beat Shanahan. Yeah, and you heard in his presser at the end, he's like, the attitude coming into next season will be different and we will be challenging everyone and you better be ready because it's not going to be the same attitude they had coming into this year. Like, hey, let's learn, right? Like, I'm sure that was more or less the lesson was like, hey, we're going to learn. It's okay if you mess this up. It's okay if you forget this audible screw up this sign, drop this pass, so on, right? He said it loud and clear in his in his presser and exit interviews is like the expectation is different next year. Like we are back to we are competing for a title, right? Well, Which is funny that you brought that up that his players didn't do it for him because I agree with you. Like you can't put the game on Matt because they dropped three picks and Jordan made four bad passes in the fourth quarter that were a part of them losing the game. Um, sorry to, but one thing I, I do disagree with you on him being in that upper echelon of coaching because it's inexcusable to keep the kicker rolling out there for a playoff game for the playoffs. I, I think the second you make it or the, you're in, you're in, contention you need to make an adjustment and this is exactly what had them fucked the year the last time they lost to the Niners too we knew Rodgers was struggling a little bit but the defense was great the offense still had Raj and Devontae and we knew the punting unit always screwed up it happened week after week after week and it cost you a game here and a game there and guess where it cost you when it mattered the most, you know? And it's yeah. like, and, I, and I'm not blaming the kid, the kicker. Like, it is not his fault the Packers lost, okay? The Packers had ample opportunity to win that game. But it's just those little things where you're not 100% buttoned up. And it, 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 it'll come back and get you, man. So that, that's where I'm like, I'm still not there on him being, and you know, I know that's not a hundred percent on him. It's a little bit on Gutekinds too. And how 
they operate the business that is the Packers, right? But uh, yeah, man, that that stuff it still does fall on the coach when we're gonna name you know point the blame, and I hope he takes that maturity level next year. And from the authority and respect that he's gotten from this roster and this team, it's just like, no, we're not fucking around with a guy who's missed the most extra points in the NFL. And, well, you know, uh, and I get he's a rookie, but I, I don't disagree with you, but I disagree with you because <laughs> I, we, I am under the impression of how to develop a good kicking game is allowing for a kicker to be in the organization, to gain his confidence, to become comfortable. Accuracy comes longevity sticks we saw it with longwell we saw it with crosby and you see around the league when these teams jump from kicker to kicker to kicker to kicker to kicker they never figure it out right and there was there's just been a trend where it's like hey teams that stick with a guy it ends up working out and they came into the season with expectations of hey if you fuck up it's okay and i get that entering the playoffs you need to have more solidified definition and confidence in your kicker but my takeaway too is who the fuck is out there and i don't know i'm, I'm genuinely asking like who can you bring <laughs> yeah, in yeah you know like the silver can, fox no, yeah, I, I mean he sucks yeah, he missed how yeah. many he missed every kick he made tried i don't know it's probably an exaggeration but yeah he's done <laughs> yeah um i i i agree with you that it's a problem but i i think the core foundation is like how do you fix the problem for 10 years and i think you do that by developing a kicker and we were a season. We did not expect to be in this position. Gudikins did not expect to be in this position. Matt didn't expect to be in this position. And yeah, you know it. It came back to bite us. But so did that defense. I I saw Valentine on the sidelines, totally. so fucking pissed that they scored that McCaffrey ran that in, and it's like good, keep that feeling because you're you should be pissed. All you had to do was hold them to a field goal. You you needed to force them to score a touchdown, and you let them score. So yeah, the kicker missed an extra point and he missed a field goal. Well, Tyler Bass did too. Nine for nine. Now he's nine for 10. And I really do hope they bring Carlson back next year because I, I do believe in him as a kicker. He's young. Young kickers have problems. And, um, you know, shit, maybe we draft a kicker in the second round and he sucks and we cut him. It, it, kicking is, it's like closing in baseball. Um, it's not for everybody. Yeah, no, I mean, you make a good point, dude. Um uh, you make a good point. You, you, you got to. We don't need to be picking up a kicker three times a year like the L.A. Chargers. It, that, I, that's, sorry, sorry, that's, sorry yeah. to keep shitting on the Chargers. But, like, you know, like that, yeah, th that's that's just like the, the prototypical example there. You know, um, that's a good point. I like that by you. And that's pretty good. But yeah, all in all, um, your perspective is 100 percent right. When you look at the macro view, how can you not be excited as a Packer fan? Like it, it was a great season, a horrible loss. Um, at least we get to turn on the football game every Sunday now, knowing that we have a guy that we're excited to watch a quarterback yeah. and hopefully everything else falls into place. Uh, this will be my last apology to Matt LaFleur and Gudikins suggesting that they could potentially be on the hot seat. I was wrong. I'm glad I was wrong. I do not regret saying that because at the time, like I said, they were unwatchable and there was potential for that to happen if they didn't have arguably the best turnaround in recent NFL history with the youngest roster to ever make the playoffs. Um, so it's going to be a great season. I'm excited to look at what they do for the off season. And um, yeah, that's pretty much my last thoughts on the Packers. 
If they fire Joe Barry, I'm going to be absolutely furious. Um, I saw if today. If they do? Yes. I saw today that they Matt LaFleur said they have not gotten around to that conversation yet. Well, yeah, it's going to take him a minute. Uh, the thought of even firing him now that he has personnel in play that have taken to his defensive scheme and have proven through a two-playoff juggernaut fight that they are adequate and his scheme is adequate would infuriate me. I mean, we've been calling for his job for three years, and now I have faith that in the playoffs, he can go toe-to-toe with the best teams and he can outsmart them, and yet we're going to fire him now? Um, the conversation better be very quick and simple. How long do you want to stay here? That that's and I'm and I've been a very de- big detractor of Joe Barry. I have swung obviously the opposite direction, so I will be watching that situation very closely. So before we get to the uh, the AFC and NFC Championship game previews, talk shit, talk whatever, uh, I did want to argue with you about something because I think we have a difference of opinion on this. So I have a question, simple question for you. Do you want to get rid of the rule that if a runner fumbles the ball to the end zone, it's touchback? I don't want to get rid of it because I think it provides a defensive advantage. I also think if a team is aware enough that it is okay. I think it's silly in a lot of ways because when we normally see it, it's normally a receiver that's gone for an 80-yard touchdown. It is so stupid that they drop the ball and it trickles out of bounds. The Mecole Hardman had me laughing because oh, yeah. how stupid do you have to be to put your entire team season on the line by fighting for that extra yard when there's clearly a defender that's just going to slap the ball away? Now, where I have a problem with the rule is when you have a quarterback sneak that doesn't necessarily work and the ball gets kicked and now a great drive, maybe at, at a key timely moment, is nullified because a quarterback was being aggressive and it just happened that their knee wasn't down. Um, But again, I don't want to get rid of it. I think it's a silly rule. See, I am on the other side. I think the rule is perfect. And the reason I think the rule is perfect is because it cannot reward reckless play by the offensive team it there needs to be something for the defender to be able to do if all the person carrying the ball has to do is cross the plane because if it if if you you could outlaw the rule right what is going to stop dudes from literally diving from the five yard line and throwing the ball at the pylon because once you go in super slow motion because that's what we do now with replay I'm going to go reach, 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 reach. And just like in basketball, when someone steals the ball or knocks it out of their hand, um, the person who knocks it out of the hand sometimes doesn't get called in super slow motion for knocking out of bounds because it's slightly on the fingertips as the basketball goes out, right? That's what I foresee if we were like, nope, screw it. No more touchback on the uh, ball rolling out of the end zone. Dudes are going to be literally throwing the ball at the pile. And that's what I would coach my team to do. Why not? There's zero consequence. Worst case scenario, you're at the half yard line, right? Like there is zero consequence. Whereas for me, Cole Hardman's a great example, right? Play disciplined football. The ball is the ball, right? The ball is the money. The ball is the game. You protect the ball at all costs. Same with your QB sneak um, example. 
So what? I'm just going to be able to toss the ball up there and make sure I put my arm up far enough. So if it does go out of bounds, like I'm good. I, I just think it just provides way too much of an advantage to the offensive team. I think it, I think the rule is perfect. I think if you're willing to stick the ball out there to get knocked out of your hand, there needs to be consequence involved or involved with it. Well, I, I don't agree. I don't disagree with you. I, I, I actually fully agree with you. I think the defense is rewarded with this rule and it's an extra element for them when their backs are pushed up against the goal line. I just think it's silly because there are a few plays in memory and I don't remember the games, their college as well as pro where you see this rule really backfire and it's sometimes it's on something really silly where it wasn't a linebacker that made an awesome play or a safety that, you know, was able to strip Nicole Hardman because he was playing aggressive and you're just like, damn, the rule really hurt the product in that moment. And those stick out to you more than the Miko Hardmans, where you're like, yeah, screw you, Hardman. You should not have been doing that. Are you stupid? That's what I thought. Are you dumb? I'm laughing in bed with my wife. And she's like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, I'm laughing at this moron who just got let go by the Jets five, six weeks ago or traded or whatever, only to come back to his team and maybe lose them the playoff game. And maybe now Josh Allen will have his legacy win because your dumb ass decided to play recklessly. It didn't turn out that way, thankfully for him, but it could have. And that's where I agree with the rule. There are a few, again, instances in history where I think it has backfired. So I do think it should stand, but there are moments where it's silly. Okay. I, I get your point. Like, I think I remember opening night, the Chiefs game, when it first happened. I don't remember what receiver for the Chiefs. It might have been the Lions. I think it was the Chiefs, though. They made a sick play, dodged a couple of dudes, got tackled, rolled over on the defender, tried to reach out for it, fumbled it out, and everyone was bitching about it, right? Like, I, I get your point there, but I think overall, the rule's perfect. There needs to be consequence. Like, there, there, there has to be an action has a reaction, right? Like I, you have to have something. It can't just be like, all right, ball rolled out of the end zone. Like they're going to get the ball for when the runner lost it out of his hands. Like, nah, I, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to get behind that. What you just said is exactly it. And it's like, again, I can't pinpoint the memory, but it's like, you're reaching for the pylon. You don't get tackled. You don't go get out. Like you think you're out of bounds. Somehow you drop the ball or whatever. It doesn't roll out of bounds and it rolls right around the pylon. And all of a sudden it's the opposing team's ball. And it's like, oh my God, that seems far too malicious for what just happened. But it's sure. like, but it's part of the game. And it's like, it's I would coach game. my guys to never do that. You know, like, but but it it's part of the game. Well, it, Belichick know? was it was it was famous, infamous for don't you reach that ball out at the goal line. Mm -hmm. Go down with the ball. Don't the don't ever give yourself the opportunity to lose that ball. Right. <laughs> then so, Jacoby Myers throws one across. That's the middle of the yeah field. that the, you know he him between him and between him and Greg Popovich I don't know who's losing it more so <laughs> you know we didn't even bring that up in the NBA thing yeah. like oh Wemby it's like oh, so pop fuck pop right like he's yeah. he's a shit coach right um <laughs> I, I digress all right let's get to the let's get to the championships let's start with the first game bro Casey Baltimore um obviously we talked about it last week we we're really hoping for Buffalo Baltimore just for the sake of like. Lamar or Josh Allen are going to the Super Bowl, right? Now we're sitting here from a fan's perspective, like Lamar, please, please, Lamar, do it, do it for, I think every football fan needs it bad. Just, just do it, do it for us, Lamar. 
Um, Baltimore's three and a half point favorites at home, 14 and four on the season, seven and three at home on the season, seven and three against the spread. Uh, Baltimore's freaking legit, dude. I, I, I hate to like say this on the record, but like, I'm going to be shocked if they lose and I don't want to like, obviously they're listening. So I don't want to put that much pressure on them, but like, I think they win by 10. You know, I share your sentiment. I don't want to pump up Baltimore because I'm afraid of an absolute collapse, but I don't see any way any team beats the Ravens at this point. If they beat the Chiefs, which I think you're right, I think it's a decimation because what we saw on Sunday against the Bills from the Chiefs is not what we've seen all season. What we've seen all season is this Chiefs struggle to move the ball at times because of their absolute pathetic wide receiver room. And Mahomes lift this team up. You're going against the best defense in the NFL. First tier, second tier, third tier. They do it all. We saw what they made the 49ers and Brock Purdy look like. I know Mahomes is not Purdy, but Mahomes doesn't have Kittle, McCaffrey, Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. Like that's that, those guys aren't out there. Kittle himself, it may be better than Kelsey is right now. And I think Kelsey had a pretty nice game, but he's looking old. Going up against these linebackers, these safeties, it's going to be very difficult. Lamar hasn't had to have a really big game yet. He's put together a nice performance, but I think Lamar comes out and sends a message to the NFL. I think we see 300 yards. I think we see an absolute decimation of the Chiefs. Yeah, for sure. Like this is his moment, you know, mm-hmm. and before I get to Lamar, it's it's a thing that we talked about with the Bills and why it's like you got to mix it up because how do you let Kelsey beat you? Right? If you're Buffalo, how do you let Kelsey score two touchdowns? He's all they got. Now, Rasheed Rice had a nice game, and he's evolving into a nice little player. You know, he looks good. And Pacheco, obviously, was doing his thing. But how do you let Kelsey beat you? And that's going to be the difference with the Ravens, man, is the matchup between Kyle Hamilton and Travis Kelsey is going to be monumental, right? How I foresee that from watching both of these teams a lot this year is that Kyle Hamilton is going to be able to handle him well. And the safeties in the linebackers, Roquan and Patrick Queen, are going to be able to handle him very well. And what that's going to do is that's going to force Pat Mahomes to play like Superman. And, you know, you mentioned it probably being a decimation. I mentioned it being 10 points. The reason we're both even just hesitant about it is because of the guy on the other team. Like if there is one guy to win a game that they're not supposed to in the NFL right now, it's Patrick Mahomes. Like he is that guy. He's by far the best quarterback in the league and the accuracy, the attention to detail. And honestly, like just the pure passing skill that he came out with against Buffalo was, was scary. I texted you right away at the beginning of the game, dude. I was like, Mahomes is he's slinging it, bro. Like he's feeling it today. He hasn't missed one throw. And sure enough, didn't turn the ball over, had less than, I think, six completions on the game and picked apart the Buffalo Bills. They didn't punt once, bro. They punted once at the end, excuse me. And the Ravens got to get pressure on him. They've got to take Kelsey away and they've got to get him playing 
reckless and he plays reckless when he loses faith in his offensive line and his receiving core. So I foresee that happening, but man, I don't know. It's, it's just, it is really tough at this point to rule out Mahomes for as bad as they are here, as they were at points in the season, like bro, they're in the championship game again. Well, and it, that is incredible. I mean, that's truly incredible. And un, unlike a lot of the narrative, I don't follow in line with the refs help the chiefs beat the bills. Totally. The bills lost. And the Ravens are not the Buffalo Bills. They, I mean, you mentioned you have two arguable Pro Bowls or all pro linebackers. Hamilton is turning into one of the best physical safeties in the NFL because of his size and his ability to match up, especially with tight ends. There is no excuse that the Ravens don't trounce the, the Chiefs. I mean, what you said of what they have to do, it's the expectation for me. Right. When you look at that Packers 49ers game, my first thought was their only chance is third level. It's those it's those cornerbacks. What do we see Jordan Love do? Attack the cornerbacks. The only reason the Packers were in that game is because their dumbass corner tackled our wide receiver 60 yards down the field <laughs> like a moron. Otherwise, that game probably gets out of hand and we're not even having this, you know, deep heartfelt sadness. The Ravens don't have that problem. And I expect fully by the second quarter, Mahomes to be absolutely unaware of what to do. Kelsey won't be a factor. Rashid Rice will be, you know, taken out of the game. It's going to be Tony jumping up and down the middle field with the hands up and the Ravens just laughing at him because he's not going to catch the ball. Um, <laughs> I I just, I hate that this Chiefs team has made it to the AFC championship game because they are not good enough. And that one game against the Bills was the best football I've seen them play all season. And I really hope it's 45 to 10. I hope this is the end, like the end of the Chiefs. It won't be, but God, I want Lamar to go for 300 yards, five touchdowns. I want Kelsey to just be in pieces in the middle of the field from Roquan and that game to be over by halftime. Yeah, I, I mean, I fully expect this to be the Lamar Jackson legacy game, right? The game that puts him on the map, that silences all the doubters and says like, yes, I am an elite quarterback in this league. I'm the backpack MVP. I am a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. Might not be the system quarterback that people want, the guy that you would be like, yeah, that is the prototypical NFL quarterback, but a winner, right? Every year that he's been healthy, he's taken his team to the playoffs, and this this is his moment, and I agree. I could see this being the three, four touchdown day, 400 all-purpose yards, and you know them sitting on the sideline with their glasses on, taking pictures on the cam- to the camera in the third quarter, right? Because they're getting ready to go to to go to Vegas to go to the Super Bowl. Um I I expect a legacy game out of Lamar Jackson. And you know Mahomes is going to bring it like we said. So, um moving on to San Francisco. San Francisco is 7 point favorites at home against Detroit this week. I'll let you go first. What are your thoughts on this matchup this game here? Um it's 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 intriguing. It's intriguing. Um I was wrong about the Lions and the Bucks. I I actually saw a comment on our TikTok, which made me laugh because he was absolutely correct. He had commented something like, you know, you are just overlooking the obvious because you want your narrative to come true so badly. And when I read it, I was like, damn, good job. Like, kudos to you. You were absolutely <laughs> correct. Um, I just really wanted the Lions to lose because I just also think of them much like the Chiefs where it's like, I know the Packers were better than you than they are. 
Like the NFC is North is wrapped up for the next 10 years, in my opinion. You had you, this is your shot, Detroit, and you have to go into Santa Clara and play the 49ers. They're not going to repeat last week's performance. I know Agreed. they're not. And your defense is not as good as Green Bay's. I don't care how your run defense is second in the league and you know how you have Aiden Hutchinson. Your secondary is still completely garbage. Um, Johnson, we talked about his addition this this preseason and how big that was going to be coming over from the Eagles and absolutely pay dividends against the Buccaneers. Well, Brock Purdy doesn't make the same decisions that Baker Mayfield does while he can have bad games. We saw that on Saturday. I think he's really def- uh, refined in this game. I think he's really leaning into the system. It's probably not going to be raining where you're seeing him sure wiping isn't. his hand on his pants as he's dropping back with the football in his hands. Um, I think it's a 10-point game if the Lions are lucky. And lastly, Lions fans, Jared Goff is on the road. Smell reality and just realize that you had a really <laughs> nice season and it's over. It's done. Jared Goff on the road, lock it in 10 points. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the Niners minus the seven here as well. I totally agree with the sentiment that they're not going to play as bad. That was a slap in the face. That was that was the ultimate wake up call in that locker room was like a every all of them know in their heart of hearts they should have lost that game. Right. Um, against Green Bay. But uh, Jared Goff on the road. Yes. Like, I don't disagree with you at all. I think since the weather's fine, I'm not really concerned about that factor of him being on the road it's bro he's he can't handle pressure in his face and i know they have one of the best offensive lines in all of the nfl but like dude there's gonna be pressure and we've seen this movie you know what i mean and both of us let's not let's not get it twisted we'd love to see the niners lose like let's let's not get it twisted here. <laughs> like I would love nothing more than Agreed. the guy that the Rams shipped off and used to beat the Niners all the time comes back in from in Detroit and takes the Lions to their first Super Bowl in our lifetime, right? Like I'm all I'm here for it, bro. hundred mm-hmm. percent. But I cannot get over the mental image of Jared Goff <laughs> dropping back and Chase Young's coming here. <laughs> Nick Bosa's over there. Hargrave's there. And oh, shit, Fred Warner's coming unblocked up the middle. And we're closing our eyes and letting one rip right to Ward for a pick six. Like, I I can't get the image out of my head. And I love St. Brown. And I love Montgomery and Laporta and everything that they've done over there in the Motor City. But I, I just cannot... I can't see them moving the ball on offense. I can't see them stopping the Niners on defense. Um, once again, I hope I'm wrong, but I think it's going to be a bloodbath Sunday. You know, I think the only shot they have is to lean on Montgomery and lean on Gibbs. Aaron Jones ran the ball pretty effectively. He did. And I mean, he ran hard. You could That game was different because you saw both teams, every single play, they were putting their careers on the line. They were picking themselves up. They were hurt, and they were going right back into battle. That was playoff football. If the Lions can emulate that and run just as hard, you do have two running backs that are caliber starters that can grind this game into the ground. And if you can get Jared Goff to lean on St. Brown over the middle and just play protective football, not take those shots, take the sack when you need to, 
they will have a shot. The problem is, I think the 49ers want this so incredibly bad that they're going to play harder because they're also better. And those variables together just make it pretty obvious. I think if you play that 40 rush attempt that I just talked about, this could be a seven point game, but you've got to be flawless. And I just don't believe golf on the road is can, can be flawless. Yeah. And their defense has too many holes in my opinion. Yeah. But, all right, y'all. Well, we appreciate you. Uh, shit. We got Super Bowl previews next and uh, some off season updates. So you can find us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok at pitcher bet pod. Peace.